It's a beautiful haircut. <laughs> You've had that style for a long time now. Yeah. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I, I, I got something to say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 51 of the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know. Who's talking haircuts? Hey there, semi pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi Pro Cycling, home of the Semi Pro Cyclist. And two reviews to get the episode started. Awesome show. Keep it up. Five stars. Dustin Judas from the US. Great show, Damien. I've listened to about 10 podcasts already after finding this podcast last week. I'm looking forward to more shows and I love the semi-pro perspective. Chapeau. Thank you very much, Dustin. I got on the phone with Dustin to have a chat and he's got a great story and I really look forward to seeing where he's going to take his cycling. The second review, great cycling podcast for all levels by Gareth Jane from the UK. I really enjoy listening to Damien on my way to and from work, even as a somewhat beginner to the sport. I enjoy every topic covered and feel I come away having learnt something new every show I hear. The show's are long enough to cover the topic, but short enough so you don't lose interest. Keep up the good work, Damien. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Gareth and Dustin. This week, instead of asking for a review, I've got another favour to ask. I'm actually interested in finding out why you race or even why you ride a bike. The question that I'm really burning to find out from you is why you got into cycling and what's your hope for it. You can send an email to me at damien at semiprocycling.com, so D-A-M-I-A-N at semiprocycling.com, and I will answer every single email that you send in. I'm really looking forward to reading why you ride a bike. So the news this week, and how can you go past the tour? It's the only thing that's on my mind. It's the only thing that's in front of me that I'm sitting down every single day and watching because I absolutely love the tour. And I've got to say, I'm not going to bore you with too much detail, but if you had told me a week before the tour started that Cavendish or Sagan won't have won a stage. Orica Greenedge would have won two and Jero is in yellow. I would not have believed you. How good is this tour? Full of so many surprises. It's just exactly what the tour should be. We'll see what happens and if there is more surprises then it's really going to be down as one of my favourites ever. But some of my highlights, definitely the bus, the crash, the change of finish line twice. So hectic, so crazy. Stage two, awesome finish. Bagstad actually coming away with the win. I was up on my feet cheering for him to get through. I love endings like this when the underdog wins. It's just totally awesome. Also, there was that crazy immature attack from Froome. I just thought, what are you doing? It reminds me of when Cadell used to ride. It just didn't have that experience that meant he really knew what to do and when to do it. And it really shows immaturity to me. So we'll see what Froome Dog does later on. Simon Clark. Well, he nearly got the Pocahontas jersey. He really blew up 1K from the top of that last climb, but he was in the breakaway, and I think he's still running second in the King of the Mountains points. It's a pretty awesome effort, and yes, it is early in the tour, but he will be back. He will be attacking and trying to get into those breaks to get those points. And Gerens, how can I not talk about Gerens? The perfect lead-out by Daryl Impey. If you watch the coverage, you watch Gerens drop the wheel, and then come around, and I've got to say, it was a lesson in absolute commitment 
because there was a point there where Sargon could have actually won. If you see, he doesn't come to the line totally committed and he doesn't actually hit the line at straight on. So it's a lesson there for going for it and just absolutely sticking your head down and learning how to throw a bike. Also, the team time trial, Orica Green Edge and Jero in yellow. I have just got to say, I'm amazed by their effort so far. Yes, I know it's early days. The Australian press will probably be going crazy, but you can't knock them. It's two stages in. They didn't get any last year. And being an Aussie, I'm right behind this. Nothing's a separate issue. That's the short answer. So the nuts and bolts this week. This is the first of four shows which are focused on nutrition and performance. I'm going to take you on a journey through the confusing world of fueling for performance, hopefully answer some burning questions and help you work out where to start and how to get the best out of yourself and your diet. So starting this week, no guts, no glory, why the gut should be the center of your universe. Starting off with a holistic approach this week that incorporates all aspects of our life and understanding how they work with your body and diet so you can set yourself up for peak performance. To discuss this, I got Joel Collard on the phone. She's from B32 Athletics. In my mind, she's leading the way as a part of a new breed of health and nutrition consultants working within an integrative approach. Now, this does cop some flack from people that are sitting on the total science side of things but some of this is definitely hard to quantify and that may be why it doesn't fit into the framework that science studies provide but it doesn't mean that it's any less valid because it really incorporates everything into your life so the importance of thinking outside of just your body and what you eat can also have an effect on the way that your nutrition is absorbed into your body and the way that it is actually used for performance. So definitely awareness and not ruling anything out are big themes discussed in this episode, as is the importance of the gut and getting it right. As Joel likes to say, it's the center of your universe. So let's get into it. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Today, I want to discuss achieving optimal performance through nutrition. And to put this in context for semi-pro cyclists, it could mean anything from 30 minutes to four hours of varying intensities, whether it's training or racing. But definitely performance to me is built up on this idea of macro and micronutrients, fueling systems, operating systems, and recovery. So firstly, I just want to ask you the question, Is there a point where a poor diet will mean that you aren't performing at your maximum? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the first thing to note is that there are obviously a couple of different priorities uh, in terms of the general population. So you have the priority of health and the priority of performance. And you can kind of generally think of these as being on a spectrum. Generally speaking, the more you move down the uh, element of performance on that spectrum, the more you move away from health. Uh, generally speaking, because the harder you train and volume and all of that stuff starts to accumulate and can actually start to have uh, deleterious effects on health over time. So that's the first point. But then I do honestly believe that you have to come at performance from the foundation of health to begin with because if you're having issues around health, whether that's, uh, I mean, I have a big focus on gut health, but internal hormonal health, gut health, detoxification systems, whatever it is, 
if your body is trying hard to work on that stuff and fix it, it's going to pull resources away from the areas that you most wanted, like adding muscle tissue or cell turnover or adding capillary growth in terms of performance around aerobic. So you have to start with things coming from this foundation of health initially. And so I definitely think that nutrition is obviously a key component of that. So you need to be able to baseline nutrition, have everything internally working really well before you can then start to build onto that the layer of performance. So this can happen at any age or you should really start at any age? Oh, absolutely. I mean, We've all gone through periods of time where we haven't eaten that well, um, and well is obviously there are a number of definitions around what is eating well and what is good nutrition. But, um, yeah, I definitely think that you can start anywhere, but you have to kind of recognise what's going on symptom-wise with the body and then work to rectify that um, whatever, whatever time period you're in in your life. Um, and obviously there are layers in terms of where you are in terms of your competition cycles and, um, you know, periodisation and things like that that you can start to consider but I definitely think you can start working on that, that foundation of health at any time. Because the idea that's in my mind at the moment is that there is a certain time frame that if you don't apply this stuff when you're younger, you can kind of get away with it a little bit. But after you start ageing and things start catching up with you, then it will really affect what you're doing. But you're saying that you have to have everything in line to get that maximum performance in the first place. There's no way to get around that. Yeah, I definitely think, I mean, you can definitely cover it up and particularly when you're younger. I mean, that's a really good point that you make because when you're younger, all of your internal systems have less damage to them overall, less cumulative damage, whether that's uh, damage from training or poor nutrition or life or whatever. And so if you think about cumulative stress on the body, when you're younger, the body's able to bounce back from that stuff a lot quicker. So you can have elements of exposures to toxins or whatever it is that's going on damage-wise and still rectify that relatively quickly. Or maybe even put up with it for a period of years without really noticing anything. And then as you get older, obviously that damage accumulates. So it can be harder to bounce back. Um, But I definitely think, and and there are times where you can actually still perform on that, but it does get to a point where you kind of tip over the edge and perhaps you'll find a period in life where you're basically just not performing like you used to. And often that can be this accumulated damage internally and externally to the system. And so you want to start addressing that in order to do things like recover uh, or just to perform in general. One of the things that actually shifted me out of the mind frame of just being able to eat anything as long as I'm training is that um, that saying that you can't out-train a bad diet. I think it just kind of sums it up really well for me. But at a certain point, there was an awareness that I, I had to start working on things. Otherwise, I was probably wasting some of my training because I wasn't able to recover in time or I wasn't even able to hit numbers while I was training. But I want to start at the very top. If we can just start talking about macro and micronutrients and what markers you use so you know that you're getting the right balance. Yeah, great question. Um, And the first thing with this is that it's not as easy as looking at just pure numbers. Uh, And I definitely think there's a place for that around, you know, exercise physiology and dietetics and all of that stuff. But you basically have to consider every single person as being biochemically individual. So in our practice here, basically the approach that I take is we'll baseline where they are in terms of health uh, and then look at, okay, what are you actually looking to get out of your body itself? So what kind of events are you training for? Um, What are your your training loads right at this very moment? And also what do um, competitive type environments look like in terms of duration and effort and uh, energy system usage and all of that stuff? And based on that, we then provide a bit of a baseline for things like, okay, what kind of carbohydrate um, 
amount are we looking at for post-workout refueling or just general carbohydrate intake during the day um, as a baseline starting point. And then from there, we basically uh, assess clients and get clients to assess themselves on how they're feeling, how, how is recovery uh, going, how, what are the rates like, what is the, the duration of soreness, all of that stuff uh, to a point where we can actually start pushing up things like carbohydrate levels till recovery is at where we would call or what feels like an optimum. Um, but I also think it's probably important to note that it's not just about uh, macronutrients on the plate either. Um, you have to really find what makes the system hum. And so, yeah, it's just a matter of trial and error and feeling out what that's like for the athlete themselves. And that could be really tough, particularly for athletes that are, are used to the endurance-type communities and ways of thinking where everything is based around numbers. So I'm probably aware that some of your listeners are expecting to have some kind of prescription around, you know, you should be having 300 grams of carbohydrate in this time frame and this and that. But you kind of really need to feel it out for yourself. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, as you get older, you're going to notice that even more. You're going to notice that you're going to have to pay more meticulous attention to those things and how the body actually feels after eating various foods and after uh, various training periods to actually take advantage of what you need and know what you need to recover. It's actually interesting the way that you bring up the integrated approach to it. As I was writing down the questions, I was kind of thinking about not necessarily looking for numbers in micro or macronutrients, but the idea behind them. And I didn't get far enough back, it seems. You know, like the idea behind fueling and what fuel choice to make and choosing a micronutrient for that. So it's, just, it's becoming clear to me from what you're saying that it's not just about picking just one fat or one carbohydrate and then going after it. It's kind of working out how it all blends in together. Outside of that, though, there's this new trend emerging where there's a few services that track biomarkers. You're aware of those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we do do some of that tracking here based on a few different methods. Um, How beneficial do you think that stuff will be in the future once it kind of starts to really develop? Yeah, I think it depends what they're actually measuring. Um, because, again, sometimes when you're looking for metrics on things, it's not taken with this integrative view. And so you measure one thing or two things or, you know, 10 things in isolation and you look at those markers of whether they're hormone levels or whether they're, um, I don't know, blood sugar or whatever it is that you're looking at in that particular scientific marker. But there's not a whole lot of consideration gone into how all those things fit together and how perhaps if you're deficient in one or two things, how that they actually might be related to each other, how there might actually be an underlying cause for what's going on in the system. And so it becomes not as easy as just supplementing with a particular thing to pick, to pick one of those particular biomarkers up. It's far more complicated than that um, in that you could still supplement with something or, or change a particular element of nutrition or whatever it is to try and pick one of those biomarkers up but still not, not have any change or have a change to one of the other ones in a negative way because there hasn't actually been any consideration gone into this, this underlying web of interconnections between those things. Um, and that's the approach that I'm really passionate about is like looking at all of those things in context. You can't just expect to measure, you know, single things and, and get the body to work how you want it to because it's nothing exists in isolation. And it's definitely hard just to pick one thing out on your own if you haven't had the experience of looking at all the different scenarios because some things may pick up if you choose one key 
biomarker and focus on that. Other things may pick up, but it's only through experience that someone can guide you and actually work on the things that have the most priority first. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the big thing with that is finding someone, whoever that is, um, whether that's, you know, a, a traditional alternative health practitioner or, you know, nutritionist or whoever that is, but someone who's actually able to kind of collect all of the data about what's going on with you in context. So internally, hormonally, externally, recovery rates, um, general energy levels, just perception of energy levels in the morning or any of those things which can give us some little insight into how the, the system is actually functioning. Someone who can collect all of those little elements and then web them all together and say, okay, well, you know, based on some experience and some stuff that I know, we can see some themes here, we can see some patterns here. And if we tried this one thing, then perhaps it might tie some of those things together to get improvement across the board. I just want to move on to the fuel system. Without getting into too much detail, there is something that I want to get out of the way first, which is why the recent hate on carbohydrates? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this goes in cycles as well. You know, we've been through a whole lot of different um, ideas in society around what what are good macronutrients, what are bad macronutrients, and, you know, sugar's had its day and fat's had its day and all of these things. Um, and there is definitely a, a recent trend, and it's kind of exploding at the moment, particularly in Australia, but uh, for this high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet, um, namely the, the paleo-type things. Um, so that's kind of been the most recent trend, I suppose, or the most exploding at least. And uh, people love that because initially the principles of paleo or the principles of that high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet um, involve removing irritants from from the system. So things like uh, grains or gluten, um, often dairy is taken out as well. These are really common irritants for the gut and for the system in general for a lot of folks, particularly if there's already damage in the system or overload in the system. And so when people initially flick over to that way of eating, you get some pretty potent results from that, um, whether they're body composition related or, or what have you. The problem with that is that over time, particularly if we're talking about performance, it's not sustainable. Um, And there are arguments being made about the fact that you can sit in ketosis for long periods of time and you can survive without carbohydrate and all of that stuff. But in my opinion, that's survival on a backup system. That's like saying, okay, we've got a spare tire in the boot of the car, so let's just travel on three, as opposed to utilizing the the way the body actually works and prefers to work more to the point to get adequate fuel into the system so i think the reason people are hating on carbohydrate at the moment is because they're starting to see some results around weight loss and some other health markers but long term there's not been a whole lot of consideration to how that ties in with performance and the impact on some key hormonal markers over time if carbohydrate is too low for too long period of time in conjunction with performance, are really negative, really, really deleterious to health. The interesting thing about the whole debate is when you look at it from a cyclist perspective, and if you look at any pro cyclists, there has not been anything coming out of that world where they've budged from what they have been doing. And I know we spoke just before we hit record about the the worlds that are already set in stone and people won't budge and things, but You've really got to look at what people are doing sometimes. And if professional athletes that require heavy fuel loads aren't switching over to these things, it kind of makes me think, you know, why aren't they even entertaining the idea or why are they sticking to their traditional diets? And that's kind of where cycling is very fuel-heavy sport and it's 
throughout every phase of training and racing recovery, it's reliant on a lot of fuel. But is there a way to replace carbohydrates? I know you were saying that you start moving into areas where your body just gets into trouble, but is it possible to not use carbohydrates all the time for those fueling needs? Um, look, to be honest, for for that particular sport, I would definitely be using carbohydrate. I wouldn't replace it with another macronutrient. Um, I mean, it depends on the duration of the events and things like that. If we're talking primarily endurance events um, and aerobic endurance events, then carbohydrate is a necessary fuel source. Like that's flat out how it is. And I think that's partly why you're not seeing as quick a quicker jump across um in terms of nutritional approaches from some of those communities. I definitely think the quality of carbohydrates could be improved in some of those communities. Um, And I definitely think that things like gut health need to be considered because, you know, we frequently see long endurance athletes with really terrible gut health. Um, So their absorption of those carbohydrates is going to be impaired anyway. So from a fueling standpoint, you can actually get more into the system with that, that perspective of coming from gut health. But I definitely think, yeah, carbohydrate is essential for for those guys that are doing those events. I mean, it is possible to fuel with other macronutrient events, but not effectively, not effectively for performance, no. So you started talking about the gut there, and um, it seems like you believe that there is ways to optimize carbohydrates further. What other recommendations are there? Uh, Well, I suppose you can look at it in two ways. So you can look at it for off the bike initially. So, you know, just general everyday life. I would definitely say moving to um, some kind of carbohydrate sources that are a non-irritant base is a huge thing. So um, moving away from things like gluten and bread and pasta, which I know, you know, pasta is pretty big in the the endurance community, but um, even moving to gluten-free versions of that stuff is going to help performance um, as well as general health. So that's the first thing. On the bike... I think that gels and things like that seem to work really effectively for people in terms of that that actual event, time of the event fueling. And so I think if you have a good enough base of health to begin with, then having that stuff on the bike is going to allow you to feel pretty well while you're out there trying to, trying to ride or perform. Um, but if you're coming from this base of health, you've got enough buffer in the system to deal with any kind of toxins that are going in. If you don't have enough buffer to deal with those things, then, yeah, I think that choosing a different source that is going to be um, basically less noise on the system, so moving to things that are probably a little bit more natural-based. I mean, one of the classic ones you can get are some, like, baby food pouches that are really kind of pureed, liquid-based carbohydrate sources that are going to be easily absorbed while you're trying to move and breathe but don't have kind of anything nasty in them. That's one of the good options you can kind of go for. Um, I know some things like coconut water have hit the scene and and what have you, potentially even some of that with some kind of sugars dissolved in it, Um, whether that's a maple syrup type sugar or table sugar um, is going to be a a good source of actually being able to refuel as well. But if you have that good base of health to go to to begin with, um, like I mentioned, you're going to be able to have a good enough buffer to deal with some of those little toxins and still get the best out of what have been kind of proven over the years to help refuel while you're actually out there riding. So let's talk about that good base of health then. If it sounds like its importance is going to carry you through any times where you slip up or it's not practical or or any reason that, well, even just in competition when you're using goos because they probably are the quickest way to get some fuel into your system. We're talking right now probably because of the Bristol stool chart which I brought up in an earlier episode, and you have down that 
the gut is the center of your universe. Can you explain that? Yeah, um, this is probably one of the most important statements that I've ever learned or, or ever passed on to anyone. So basically, you can think about the gut as being the window between your internal world and the external world, quite literally. You know, it's the literally the opening channel between how you get food in from externally and convert it into energy. Initially, it's that first step. And so it's a pretty vital part of survival, full stop. So anytime you have damage around the gut, uh, whether that's from an irritant-based you know, nutritional profile like something that includes a whole lot of gluten in it or whether um, you've had too much exposure to stress hormone and that starts to cause some tear down in the gut or lactate or anything like that, whenever your body is freaking out that there's something going on in the gut, it will pull resources into that area to try and fix it. And those resources come at the expense of other processes in the body, things like adaptation to training um, or things like immune system activity, um, general digestive capacity comes down because your body is trying to focus so much energy to try and fix what's going on in that, that central part of it. Um, that's the first part of it. And then the second part of, that, of it is that you have um, a whole lot of neurotransmitter signals that come from the gut environment via gut bacteria and balance of that bacteria in the actual gut environment itself. And you also have a huge immune system component that sits around the gut called the enteric immune system. So any damage, anything that goes wrong in that internal gut environment has huge implications for hormonal health around the whole system or neurotransmitter, mood, um, energy in general, detoxification capacity. All of these processes in the body are affected by how the gut is functioning. So most times I see with, with clients, if we take care of the gut as a first priority, a whole lot of other stuff clears up nearly immediately, in fact. Once you heal the gut, a lot of the other issues are, are beginning to be rectified. If someone's listening to this and uh, they check out the chart and they don't sit in the recommended type three or four range, how do you work backwards from that point to try and isolate what's actually going on? Yeah, so I guess as a, um, a high-level look into that, the first thing I'd be doing would be removing anything that I know uh, can cause damage to the gut uh, to start with. So that is stuff like gluten. Uh, the mechanism of gluten on the gut is interesting, and this is this particular context that I'm talking about is uh, more of an autoimmune response or a, um, a damaging to the gut as opposed to celiac. Um, so when I say autoimmune, the, the basic mechanism of gluten on, on the gut in general, even with someone who doesn't have celiac, is that it's kind of like a rock in your shoe. It gets into the gut lining and basically kind of starts to, to grade it down because we can't actually break down the, the protective casing that, that gluten is. Um, and so it creates this immune system activity there. So basically that's, that's my first go-to point. For someone that's having gut issues or basically isn't pooing properly, we, we take that out and see what happens initially. And usually we see a whole lot of improvement just from that. And if that doesn't start to clear things up, then you can start to look at, again, this is without any, any uh, lab testing or quantitative testing initially. So this is stuff that, you know, your listeners can do at home if they need to. So the second thing would be looking at um, what's going on in terms of stress in life in general, um, uh, in training stress or volume, all of that stuff. Anytime you have a whole lot of stress on the system, uh, and that's via, as I mentioned, anything externally like life, emotional stress, travel, job, relationship, exercise, all of that, but also internal stress on the system, uh, whether that's toxicity going into the system via, I don't know, say alcohol or chemical or medication or anything like that, you have uh, your stress hormone goes up. 
And basically, stress hormone is like your survival hormone. So this is where we're talking about cortisol. Um, and this is a very simplistic view of it, but cortisol basically causes the, the system to get into that survival mode, into that idea of fight and flight. So when you have elevated cortisol over a period of time, the body basically shuts off anything that isn't directly related to survival at that, that given moment. And so things like digestion and gut health start to, to go by the wayside because who needs to worry about digesting food right now? we just got to run. We're just in, in this fight and flight mode. So we do start to see um, some impacts and pretty direct impacts on stool composition just as a result of uh, excess cortisol in the system. Um, and that's really obvious if you've ever been to like a job interview or the day before a big race where you're really nervous. It's the morning yeah. of the race generally. So you get a big hit of cortisol and I'll guarantee you that no one's having solid poos that morning. Yep. It's going to be straight through you. So that's a really good example of that. So we, we try and minimise or mitigate all of the stress inputs that are going into the system to, to uh, try and um, fix up the, the gut health. And so addressing, you know, or helping people to address what's going on in terms of life is a, a starting point. Um, helping folks to have some better sleep hygiene Sleep's pretty essential to, to getting that stuff step, that stuff settled. So, you know, going to bed in the dark and making sure you're getting kind of eight hours of solid sleep, um, a whole range of things, basically. There's, it's, you know, never-ending interconnection. It does sound interesting that you're pulling in a lot of external factors rather than just focusing straight on the gut, which I guess, again, that comes back to your approach. But definitely things that if someone hasn't considered why, you know, your poo's runny before you're actually racing an event or whatever, and then correlating that and then how to fix that. What type of recommendations would you have to try and curb that stress before a big event? Yeah. So, I mean, experience in general with events will mean that that starts to dissipate over time. But the thing with that is that acute bouts of cortisol or acute bouts of stress are not they're not terrible on the system as long as, again, you have that buffer um, and you're coming from a position of, of decent health. Because, I mean, you're always going to have events in life that make you nervous um, and that start to drive that up at particular points in time. So for me, I would say it's not so much trying to figure it out on race day. You want to have that already in place. Um, and that's the way that you're going to start to mitigate some of that. And I think, you know, for a lot of folks, they're still going to have that, that um, you know, runny stool on, on race morning. Um, but if, if you're coming from a place where gut health in general or stool composition as a, as a metric of that has been really good or solid, excuse the pun, over um, a period of time, then it's not going to be as bad. You're basically going to start to mitigate some of those effects because that, that short, acute bout of cortisol isn't going to be as extreme. Yeah, definitely. I, I hear what you're saying in regards to if everything is set up right and you're topped up and everything is fine, then just getting rid of one breakfast where you're not absorbing all the nutrients on the day isn't going to be as damaging as that happening to you and repeating over and over again, building up to the event, which could then just leave you depleted totally before the, the race itself. Absolutely. So where does blood sugar management come into this? Is it a separate issue that should be managed or is it something that just gets thrown in with the gut management itself? Um, then nothing's a separate issue. That's the short answer. Um, but to provide a little bit more context about that, I would say that generally um, sensitivity and to insulin or, or um, blood sugar management in endurance focus is actually quite good. Uh, 
because of the level of energy expenditure, uh, you generally your cells are generally really, really receptive to getting sugar in. They want to get that in there. Um, so we don't see as many blood sugar issues or the ability to absorb carbohydrate is, is really quite good um, with most folks that are using that amount of energy and are doing kind of some aerobic work um, or lots of aerobic work as the case may be. So for this particular community, I would say that blood sugar management in terms of it, it shooting too high and things like that is not necessarily an issue. Um, definitely potentially with getting too low, particularly if folks are starting to flick over into something like that high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet, um, you will start to see levels where you're hitting lower blood sugar. And when that happens, that is really stressful on the system. Um, you get a big hit of cortisol from that. Uh, which then obviously has impacts around gut health and, and all those things we just spoke about. So the key for, for the, your community of listeners, I would say, is to try and maintain blood sugar and actually keep it high enough in terms of fueling uh, more than anything. Have you ever played around with continuous glucose monitoring? Uh, not so much. We've, I've used a little bit of uh, blood sugar monitoring with clients, but the, I mean, we deal with a, a range of clients through to kind of general population and some athletes as well, but not so much. It seems quite interesting because there's a product actually coming out where you can uh, monitor 24 hours a day by yourself, which to me seems interesting to see if there's any gaps in training and just to get an idea, a, a better idea of instant feedback of how your body responds to certain foods, I think would be quite fascinating. Mm, yeah, absolutely. But again, the key with that is then to not just think that it's responding a certain way based on just the input that you're giving it because we're a bit like black boxes in that if you're having some cortisol regulation issues as it is or gut health issues or whatever, that's all going to impact your ability to get sugar into the cell. And so even though you have those continuous readings coming out, it's still not, it's still that single, single biomarker. It's not necessarily giving us the context of why something's having the effect that it is. I'm going to wrap it up here by just asking a couple more questions. What's the biggest change that someone can make for the least amount of effort? Definitely ditching the gluten. Um, that would be the, the, the lowest hanging fruit that I've seen in terms of improving all of those health markers, improving absorption to the gut, ability to get you know, good nutrients into the system. That would be my number one straight away. And the response to that, though, how, what's the kind of time frame that people are finding that they're starting to feel the effects of that? Uh, generally, I start to see um, a, a reduction in gastrointestinal symptoms like bloating and gas and stool composition, all of those obvious ones within three weeks or so, two to three weeks. I definitely think it requires at least kind of a six-week baseline. Uh, if people are going to you know, do the gluten-free thing for two weeks and then go back on it, you may not actually notice too much of the effect of what's going on when you do have it again. I would definitely yeah, baseline for about six weeks and see what happens. And we definitely see some some rising, or sorry, some um, raise in energy levels over that kind of three or four week period or so. But it is individual, and it does depend on how much damage you've done to the gut uh, and what else is impacting the environment in there. And either way, it's going to take a serious commitment to kind of move in that direction anyway. Yeah, and I mean things are much better in in that light than they were two or three years ago. There are plenty of awesome gluten free products around that taste pretty much the same, if not better, than some of the, the other more traditional ones. So, yeah, it just takes a commitment to giving it a crack for a month or so and seeing, seeing how you feel, basically. Yeah, definitely the products out there have increased a lot. Um, before I do wrap it up, is there anything I've missed? Any final words that you've got to say? I just think 
the biggest thing that we see time and time again with, with performance is, as I mentioned earlier, just coming from that foundation of health um, and going back into that, that element of health in the off-season or having an off-season to begin with, you know. Um, the idea that more is not always better uh, and that you need to train smarter in order to get that next peak, basically, yeah, starting to kind of tiptoe from or build from that base of health and then moving into performance but back into that spectrum of health every now and again to make sure that you're still coming from that base. Great. That is really good advice because, like you said, that spectrum of the further you move away from health, when you move into performance, at some point you have to kind of reset, don't you, your body to get back to a, a state that is healthy and then kind of move again. But uh, where can people get hold of you if they want to talk about this some more? The first stop would be to jump on our website, uh, which is www.b32athletics.com.au. So that's B and the number 32. Otherwise, I'm, I'm available by email. Uh, it's my first name, Joel, J-O-E-L-L-E, at b32athletics.com.au. Great. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Damien. There are a couple of really big takeaways that I got from this interview. And the number one takeaway is that there are things that can affect your performance that you can't necessarily account for because the body reacts differently in certain situations. So the example that was used in the interview was when you're coming up to a stressful event, your body is releasing hormones that actually can strip the body of any nutrients or food and push it through your system. So you've got to have a plan building up to a big event so you have your system topped up as much as possible to account for things like this when they happen because they're pretty much inevitable before the race that something like this is going to happen. The other big takeaway was quality of carbs. So the quality of carbs that cyclists use generally are pretty bad. And I know because I would say my entire cycling career, I've used carbs that aren't necessarily the best for my long-term health. Playing around with this, I think, will be really important. And there was a couple of really good suggestions in there. That's the first nutrition episode. Next week, I'm going to delve into a more scientific side of nutrition to talk about trends and advice from that side of the fence. The results definitely may surprise you because I've changed my mind on a couple of issues based on the studies that are brought up. Now, let's get to the tech hacks and product section. And this is the continuous blood glucose device I mentioned in the interview, it popped up on my radar after listening to a presentation from a guy called Sky Christofferson. He's an ex-Olympic trackie from the USA and he's really big into self-quantification and he's using this currently with Olympic athletes to quantify and improve their performance over a range of areas. So have a listen to him talking about blood glucose monitoring. One of the things is a continuous blood glucose monitoring which I have here. These are my results. I just got this sensor a week ago and for the first time I can see continuous real-time data about what's happening in my blood. Right off the bat I identified two areas of hypoglycemia. I went and corrected those, noticed instant improvements in sleep and just you know kind of energy throughout the day. If that piques your interest I've got a link to this presentation in the show notes that you can check out. Also, if the blood glucose stuff is interesting, I've got a link to this product, which is the Dexcom G4 Platinum. I haven't used this myself, but I do find it interesting, even though it was slightly shut down by Joel in the interview. All right, that quote from the top of the show, it's Eric Zabel, and yes, he did have a great haircut, flat top, rad styly. 
But I'm very disappointed to announce that he has changed it. So I've got a clip that you can check out at his peak right at the end before someone probably pulled him aside and said it's time to go. But this is definitely a mini homage to one of the greats. And he won the jersey, the green jersey, six times at the tour. What an absolute boss. I would definitely go and check the clip out and keep an eye out for his son that is starting to move up in the cycling world. But that's it for me this week. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. This is just another quick reminder that I really love to hear the answer to the question of why you race and what is your hope for it. If you could send an email to Damien at semiprocycling.com, I would really love your feedback and I will answer every single email that comes in.